Hey guys, and welcome to a new little episode that Brett and I have created. Um, it is uh, the monthly best of Patreon. Um, don't really need to intro ourselves, do we, Brett? No, I think everyone knows who we are by this is probably our 100th episode we've done, I reckon. <laughs> about, more. That. about that, yeah. So we, uh, we went through um, some of the Patreon content because there's so much great stuff dropping um, and I, we felt that uh, a lot of our non-patrons you know, don't even know what they're missing out on. Um, so what we're going to do here is go through uh, a few of our favorite episodes um, and just you know, talk a little bit, bit about them, intro them and then play a little uh, snippet for you guys. As a yeah. little trailer. Yeah. Yeah. Patreon, like what we're trying to do with it is like add um, good content, good tools for runners um, each week. So, yeah, we're lucky to have Dave McNeil and um, Elise Beacom hosting and the, and speaking to some very smart people, a lot smarter than us. Yeah. Finally, some intelligence <laughs> um, on the yeah. podcast. And then, yeah, just offering things that uh, will definitely help runners and, and, just become better, better runners and probably better people. To be honest, as well. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like FTK is a self-help podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so kicking us off first, we went with Q and A session forty-four. Uh, why do running injuries occur? And that was hosted by Dave McNeil, and he spoke with uh, physios Nick Cross and Richie Johnson of Melbourne CBD Physio. A um, couple of interesting things here, Brett. Um, you know, one thing I, I sort of thought was interesting that uh, Richie spoke about, and he said he was being cynical, but they sort of the other two guys backed him up like, quickly, backed him yeah. up quickly, um, and said that you know he he finds it difficult um, in the running space that like a lot of researchers uh, seem to over over analyze the movement in terms of like running biomechanic biomechanics, and um, that can be a problem in itself, yeah. you know, because what we do is quite a simple sport, and when you've got you know, researchers and scientists overanalyzing and saying, change this, change that, and those guys don't even run. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's people that just, they don't run, so they don't understand why people run like that. And you can look at someone running on a treadmill, um, but that doesn't tell the full story. Exactly. If, if they're running some funny way with their hip, it's like you need to find out why they're doing it. You can't just tell them to stop doing it yeah. and, and run like this. Yeah. Um, you have to be assessed. And yeah, they said they find a lot more by testing joints and tissue and and finding out where those problems are coming from yeah exactly um it's yeah it's very it's very rarely just totally black and white um another interesting thing they spoke about was the you know 80 20 rule um and one example they sort of used here was apparently stewie mcswain our training partner yeah i, th I think what happened was we had a a spanish um researcher come out That's and, and followed yeah. Uh, MTC for a while and so they did this paper on I think like kind of MTC training and yeah like Stewie and uh, yeah pretty much said that he runs 140 to 145k a week for 12 months straight of aerobic running yeah and um, he's a 1500 meter runner um, and you know Nick was quoted in this paper as sort of saying you know it's just meat and potatoes work yeah you know, like the, the basics and 140 to 145k a week of easy running and you know, people that listen to our podcast know the MTC structure. You're doing 8K of hard work on a Tuesday, 10K threshold on a Thursday, and 6K of hilly hard work on a Saturday if you're doing three sessions. Yeah. So, and then when you 20, break it down, it's pretty much 20%. Yeah. And yeah. that's 20, 24Ks a week, plus, you know, as in, in, yeah, 140Ks of easy running. Yeah. So. And then we looked at ours, and like, I guess when I'm in marathon training, doing about 40K of hard running. Yeah. And then, you, yeah, break that down to what I'm running 180 to 200k. It's about 20%. The same thing, yeah. yeah. And for me, the, the exact same. So, yeah, enjoy this little clip. There shouldn't be massive spikes week to week 
in an endurance athlete's training. So what I mean by that is if you, so for example, so I train off basically an 80-20 model. So 80% of my weekly running loads are either easy runs or recovery runs. So super low aerobic running, which builds up aerobic capacity. So then therefore I can handle two sessions per week. So an interval, a threshold, a tempo. Where we run into trouble and we're the distance at, so when I speak to a runner or a patient and I'll ask them, right, can you lay out day to day? What does your training look like? And a prime example, I had a runner come into me a couple of weeks ago and she was a distance runner. So basically a novice runner as well, too. And she was following a running program, which was pretty much nearly she was trying to run a half marathon and she was doing four sessions per week running sessions. Three of those were at intensity, a high intensity. And I said, there's no easy running here to support your, what you want to do here. So that's why you're sitting here and you have an injury. So she, she had basically two lateral calf injuries because basically she was just trying to run hard in three sessions. So therefore, when you're trying to build up a running volume to support um, week to week cumulative loads, it needs to be reflective of what running actually is. And essentially for distance running, it's an aerobic based sport. So from a marathon context, generally, you're only really sprinting maybe the last 100 meters of the marathon. So therefore, you, you need a big aerobic engine, which is built on easy, easy volume, aerobic, low heart rate. So how do we build up training load to reduce the risk of injury? Because the word predict, um, is, it's a little bit loose. So, so for me, um, I think people need to understand that when you're starting to build up easy runs and you're building up that cumulatively, so maybe you're having day on, day off, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to run back to back today. So therefore, it's like, okay, how does my body adapt to that? So therefore, both of those runs for me, so you transition, so you don't pick up anything or any niggles or uh, negative responses is to do it off feel. So essentially, that comes back to like easy, easy, low aerobic running. And therefore, the body adapts and it has adapted in a positive way. So therefore, you can progress to the next day and that may be a session. So those are the things that support um, what training load for me looks like. Um, we also discussed this, basically this metric, the acute chronic workload ratio. So essentially that number. So if you look at your acute training load week, so seven days of training this week versus the three or four weeks prior to that, has that previous four weeks been enough to support this current week of training? So if you've done next to nothing and then all of a sudden you've went from 20 Ks a week and this week you're trying to do 50 Ks a week, well, boom, there's your spike. It's pretty, pretty simple. So, or it could be a change in elevation. So going from easy flat running and then all of a sudden in a train, in your acute training week, you've upped your elevation and you're reporting, you have a lower calf overload, for example, or a grumpy Achilles. And essentially that's reflective of, well, 
your previous three weeks, there hasn't been a lot of elevation. So that kind of adds up. The next uh, Q&A session that we chose was episode 46, The Mind Series. And uh, Dave McNeil spoke with uh, his um, psychologist and counsellor, Bert Gacheta. Um And yeah, that was a super interesting episode. Yes, this one's actually in, in two parts. So the first part is pre-Albert Park 10K, which was Dave's first race in 16 months. Um, and then he did another one after with a bit of a follow-up session. But um, it was very interesting. It was kind of like actually like caught myself like he would ask Dave questions and then I would kind of like think about it myself. Asking, I was doing yeah. the same thing. That's a true counselor. Yeah, yeah. Like listening to, yeah, it felt like I was getting a session done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but both Dave's worked with this, uh, with Bert for 15 years so they, they know each other very well. Um, I found it interesting, you know, of, of the 15 years that Bert's worked with Dave, he's, he sort of mentioned that he has never um, worked with another athlete with the same level of, you know, determination um, and persistence and, and, you know, come... He asked Dave, um, "What's what brings him back to running every time after a big setback?" Um, and you know, Dave's response was quite interesting. He sort of said that uh, he feels like he doesn't really even know, know any better. It's been mm. part of his life for so long. Um, and he sort of, you know, one quote that's uh, stuck with me is Dave said, "It sort of it transcends identity." Um, but he also, you know, mentioned that. <laughs> I suppose it's that chasing the dragon sort of feeling with, uh, you know, a dopamine release that comes with such a great performance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but another thing he was speaking about was like out of your races, it's like 10% you you end up being very satisfied with. The other 90%, even if they're good races, you're like, oh, but maybe I could have gone a little bit faster. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like that kind of yeah, like self-sabotage chas- a little bit. And Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting, um, yeah. Especially with that that dopamine release uh, quote that he mentioned, it's like, well, we know how Dave felt about his Albert Park yeah. episode. So you know, once you've listened to this one, it is quite interesting to go and listen to part two to hear hear about yeah. that. Very lucky that Dave uh, let us in and let everyone in on that. Like, I think not many people would be comfortable with uh, having a counselling session and, and letting everyone in. No, that's exactly why it's a great asset to FTK. I think it actually probably is the the longest um, longest time of, of not racing, and um, I, I'm sure I'm sure listeners will 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 perhaps resonate with you know um, whenever you do sit out a period of, of not racing, it's it's probably one of the easiest things to forget is is how to race and and what that fe- what it feels like. That's probably the main thing is is what racing feel feels like, and I've. I've had um, stretches out with injury before and come back to racing and it's um, it's often a bit you know <laughs> quote unquote rusty in the beginning and um, and yeah go, going into to, to tomorrow I, I um, you know I, I somewhat inspired I think I'm, I'm sure I actually haven't seen it but there is a um, there is a series on on Netflix um, where the the famous Hollywood actor Jonah Hill um, does some some sessions with his therapist, um, you know, in a in a in a recording and and, and shares it with people. And um, I'd love to kind of do that a little bit. As I said, Bert Bert and our relationship has probably evolved, you know, over the last fifteen years. And you know, we catch up as as friends um, once a month. So it's been a while since we've we since I've kind of uh, you know sat in the chair and and handed over the reins and. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 let let uh, 
let Bert um, do his, his magical uh, question ask, asking and, and listening. Um, but um, I'm, I'm sure we'll go back and forth a bit today, but I, I'm going to hand the hosting duties over to you, Bert, and, and, um, and yeah, maybe, maybe we can chat about, you know, what's, what lies ahead. Here we go. We're at the, we're at the starting line. <laughs> and and uh, we don't know how long or how we're going to do, but we've been on the starting line before many, many times. So uh, right off the bat, I, you know, as the days are going on, I've been just thinking of a few things, you know, and, and, and something, you know, like this, the practical things of what can I do? And, and, uh, and some are, some are deeper than that. And I just wondering this, you know, just here you are, um, you've qualified and gone to three different Olympics right now. And I know that you have some ideas of another one, although and you can clarify that, you know, but, but basically what I know is that you want to continue running at the highest level that you can. That part is for sure. And, and I want to just ask maybe the biggest question. What, what is it? You know, what, what is it that, that, that's drive, that drives you? What is it that you, that from inside of you, what, I just, because I, I don't know anyone quite like you and not, there aren't many people like you, you know, who have, who have had this drive and determination and this will and all these other words to keep doing this remarkable thing at the, at the level that you're doing it. I just want to see, you know, beyond your, your shoes and your knees and your hip and all that stuff. What is the, what's the driver, you know, for you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. In this show. Such, <laughs> such a good question. Um, I think on the very, sur- this is, the, I'll start with the easiest and, and simplest and most surface level answer. And I'll try and, I'll try and dive a little bit deeper, but I, I think on the surface is I don't know any better. <laughs> It's it's all I know, um, and it's and it's all I've known, you know, from a running perspective. It's all I've known, you know, since I was really young and um, had a uh, had an older brother, um, and and having having competitive basketball games, having fights, and 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 so from a competitive side of things, it's yeah, it's 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 all I know. Um, but if we we start delving a little deeper. Um, and, and, and this is probably the most important thing. And, and I think also is something that I've, you know, gradually learned over the years is that from the competitive side of things, why I keep going back to it is because it's, it's one of the most potent, uh, areas where I feel like myself, like I, I, I actually, I mean, I'm in touch with this, you know, who I am, you know, I, I don't, you know, it's, it, it, I think it transcends the idea of identity. I, I, identity is, is way, um, way too complicated an idea to, to say, you know, running's, running's who I am. I, I, there was a time absolutely where I thought that was the case. Um, but, you know, the essence of, you know, the, the wiring my, in my head, the, the way my brain thinks, um, the, the, the sense that I make of, of the world, it seems to flow best when I'm running. 
Third one we uh, chose was Q&A session 48 and that was hosted by Elise Beacom and she spoke with uh, Associate Professor Christian Swan. What did you like about this one, Brett? You love this one but uh, there was actually, I don't know, like I think everyone sets their own little goals but when they broke down kind of the different types of goals and and strategies for if things aren't going as well or if, if you're having a bad race, you can actually adjust your goals a little bit in the race to still improve your performance. Like instead of just, if you adjust your goal, you can uh, kind of focus on that instead of just completely losing your mind. Yes. It's that flexibility. Yeah. Um, another thing, you know, I, I thought was interesting because I'd never really, I'd always, I'd always heard about um, a, like outcome and process goals, you know, that's yeah. sort of how I learned it. But, you know, talking about specific and, and non-specific goals and when Christian sort of mentioned that, you know, non-specific, you start from a point of no expectation um, and you judge your progress from your sort of baseline. Um, and then, you know, from that, it's like about building on your accomplishments as opposed to chasing down a target that's way in the future. And that, you know, when you're chasing something that's way in the future, that's more a specific goal. Um, <clears throat> and one thing I sort of thought was interesting is that uh, Christian spoke that like the, you know, one problem with, um, with specific goals is that you don't feel like you're making really any progress until right in the, like the dying moments of achieving that goal. And so one example that I thought was, you know, you broke the Australian record in December last year. Um, a specific goal for you would have been in the beginning of 2022 saying, I want to break the Australian record mm. in, uh, in Fukuoka. Now that's 12 months of you not getting any closer to achieving that goal until the 39K mark of that yeah. marathon when you start to be like, okay, oh, now I'm going to achieve it. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's very true and it, it is hard but I think uh, – so with the marathon though, I break it down into process goals as well. Like mm. I set a bit of a checklist of things to achieve and, and it, that helps me break up the race as well and then I like go, all right, let's see what I can run for the last 10K or let's try to break 30 minutes for the last 10K and so that becomes a specific goal but I don't get to do that specific goal till I've done these open goals yeah. as good as I can. And then I get to do that, but yeah, it's um, it was very interesting. A lot of uh, very good tools, and and yeah, about writing down goals as well. Like you don't yes. have to necessarily write your write on your mirror so you see it every single day, but you, if you have a goal, write down your progress. Yeah, I think he used a good example of uh, yeah, journaling was, the progress. Yeah. yeah, he was he was running a ten k each week, and he would just write down the time he he did. So he's like seeing his achievements there as he's getting closer and closer to his end date goal kind of thing. Mm, yeah, it was super interesting. So enjoy this one. If, if we're to look sort of in the middle of those two in, on that spectrum, just say we've got an intermediate runner, they've run like three marathons before, two of them went well, one they had a terrible time and a blow up and had to walk run for the last eight Ks or something. Um but they do want to improve and, and PB their next run, but also want to have a good experience. What sort of goal might they want to set for themselves? Yeah, really interesting question. And um, that actually maps on quite nicely to my partner who's done probably a similar amount of marathons and is gearing up for Chicago and would love a PB. And so I sort of find myself looking at her wondering what advice I should provide or whether yeah. I should... <laughs> Um, so I think it's never as straightforward as, you know, this option suits this person, this option suits that person. It's a much more complex thing than that. And certainly I'm not a running coach and 
would never, you know, claim to provide um, reasonable advice on how a program should be structured or anything like that. What I would say from a goal setting perspective is that there's options. It's not a one size fits all. So even if you have a specific goal at the end of the marathon in mind, you know, a PB is a really common goal for people to have. Great. Go with it. That's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But maybe look for where the opportunities are to mix it up. Or if you're training and you're starting to get into a bit of a slump with training or you're finding it harder and you just need to let loose a little bit, then maybe set open goals for a week or for a run and just go out and not worry about all of the other things that you should be doing according to your plan. I, I think ultimately the best outcome that we as researchers would love people to, to get to is knowing that there's different options and having the knowledge and the skill to be able to choose those options themselves to get the outcomes that they want. And, and ultimately, you know, I'm not in a position to tell you or anyone else what's going to suit you best on a daily basis. You're going to know based on how you're feeling what you want to achieve that day. And so, of course, there's the days where, you know, you're really pumped, your prep's been really good, your schedule's meant that you're really, you know, ready to go at a hard run at the weekend and you can push yourself and you can maybe try and increase your distance or hit a time or whatever it might be. And that's great. But there's other times when work gets on top of you or social commitments get in the way or you don't sleep as well. And so you're just looking at that run thinking, oh, this isn't shaping up nicely. You know, you sort of it's in the back of your mind or, you know, it's it's coming later in the day and you're like, I don't know if I'm feeling this one. And maybe in those cases, it's an opportunity to say, I'm just going to go. I'm going to start running and see where I get to. And give yourself those days where it can be a bit of a breather when it when it's already not shaping up to be that that greater run. As an example, my partner went for a run at the weekend. Um, exactly sort of that scenario. She wasn't really feeling it, wanted to go out and do 8K. Um, so she just decided to start running and see where it ended up. And she got home 21K later and it felt great. Yeah. And she just had one of those runs that was like, there was no pressure, didn't have to think about it, just started running and it felt really good. And so she kept going. And yeah. so there's a sort of um, the unplanned, really positive outcomes that can happen uh, when you just let yourself to run freely and, and pursue a non-specific goal. Um, I mean, worst case scenario in those situations, if you set a non-specific goal and it still doesn't go to plan, then... It, it's probably not going to be any worse than if you had tried to stick with a specific goal anyway. So you sort of have nothing to lose. But I think, um, yeah, what we would love to see as researchers is people out there who are aware that there's options in terms of goal setting and, and aware that specific goals do certain things and non-specific goals do other things and that people feel like they're able to chop and change depending on what they want from that run. The last uh, episode that we thought we'd feature, um, again, hosted by Elise, 
was uh, Q&A session 51 on gut training. That's a two-parter. Um, so we're just sort of breaking down part one here. Um, and Elise spoke with Steph Gaskell and Alan McCubbin and they have their own podcast, The Long Munch. So feel free to check that out too. Um, but yeah, this is super interesting. Uh, for me, I would say... I feel like I was trying to save all the information in my head because a lot of it was marathon focused. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a bunch of cool, interesting things that I sort of didn't know about. The, I wish I knew all this when I started running marathons. Like I had no idea when I was running marathons. I was just guessing and like, and then I would kind of ask some other runners. You pie midway through. Your yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I love this. Uh, I love this topic pretty much. I love anything to do with like marathon fueling, but um, they yeah, kind of broke down about like how many carbs you should be trying to get an hour and how's the best way to increase your body of doing that. Like um, they talked about kind of overloading your body and pushing the limits in training and mm. seeing what you can get out of it. And then, and then you bring it back down a little bit for the race. Yeah. One talking about that, pushing the body. One interesting thing um, was, you know, Alan mentioned, I think Elise, at least asked him, you know, how, can we train our, our stomachs? And Alan spoke of, you know, um, the food eating competition mm. people. They're not born with that skill. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he said, you're not. They weren't born to eat 77 hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so you, yeah, you train your stomach to be able to 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 be able to do that. Um, so yeah, that was super interesting. Another thing I I thought um, was. It, well, I, I did know that the uh, the you know increased intensity um, reduces blood flow to the gut, which that's is why um, digestion is slower. But another thing that I didn't didn't really know, but it does make sense to me and re- resonated with me for sure, was that um, psychological stress slows down blood flow to the gut, um, and that's you know they spoke about being as relaxed as possible on mm. the start line, you know, of a marathon. Um, yeah. And one you know one anecdote for me was Gold Coast last year. Where, the half marathon when I had the injury, you would with me those days leading up, you know, very stressed trying to, you know, am I going to finish it? Super stressed. Um, and you know, on anti-inflams, which, you know, create, you know, physical and, and psychological stress. Um, and my, I had the same big carbohydrate load that I did, you know, the big bowl of rice before. And I was like throwing it up because yeah. my body wasn't able to digest it. Yeah, Whereas well, like, is that fight or flight response? Like if, if your body's in that for a few days, yeah. then or, or even before the race, like if you're like too aroused, then, then your blood isn't going to where it's supposed to be. Mm. So if it's not in the stomach and you're trying to process food, it's just not going to work. Um, yeah, and, and then I think the other thing with the um, gut digestion was having your gels and stuff early. Like don't wait because once the blood's gone there, it's a lot harder to get it back to it. Mm. But if you're having gels regularly yeah, or, or you drink regularly, it. yeah. then it's easier to stay there and you and it just keeps kind of doing that job. Yeah, for sure. Another th- uh, thing on the gels, you know, as coaches, we get asked this all the time. Um, should I be having gels or should be, you know, can it, if for people that are running marathons in their local cities, they often have, you know, a friend or a partner or, a, you know, training partner that can ride at points of the course and give them drinks. So sometimes the option's there and they say, should I be having gels or should I be having drinks? As, as um, you know, both Steph and Alan said, it doesn't. Your your body doesn't know if it's either getting a carbohydrate drink mm. or it's getting a gel with water. Yeah. Once it gets in your stomach, it, it's the same. It's the same thing. Really, sugar, what sugar and water. It's, it's <laughs> carbohydrate and water. Exactly yeah. right. Um. So that's you know that's super interesting. But the one thing they did say, and you know we were speaking off air, um, is that you know if you're having carbohydrates without 
uh, water, water. Yeah. you know, that's when you put your, yourself at a greater risk of stomach cramps. Because the ratio is just out. Yeah. The ratio is out. And you said that you didn't know I that. didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I just thought you could eat the gels <laughs> without water. You're, you're having gel, 4 and 20 pie gel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I, well, now, I'm, now I know. And that's now why you broke the Aussie yeah. record. But yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, this is, I think, a great tool that everyone should be using. I wish, I wish if you run out of mar- running a marathon soon, have a listen. Enjoy this one, guys. So let's talk gut training now. Uh, You know, it's so normal for us to train our bodies and minds to deal with the aerobic and mechanical and mental stress of a marathon. Is the gut trainable as well? Yeah, the gut is certainly trainable. And I know, um, you know, gut training is becoming a bit groovy uh, nowadays. (laughs) Um, So we all talk about it, but I would still argue that there's still a lot of us that don't do it very often or very well. Um, but we we do know both anecdotally and also um, in some research that is coming out and there's more that is coming out in this area that the gut is trainable. Um, so there was actually has been a recent um, what we call systematic review, so looking at you know, all the research that has been done in this area um, in a systematic approach, um, you know, well, like, is gut training a thing and, and is it actually effective? Um, and there's limited human studies in this area, but what we do know from the ones that have been done is that uh, if we do undertake particular gut training um, strategies, um, that we can help improve our symptoms that we may experience during running. So we can, you know, if we're initially experiencing a lot of upper or lower gut symptoms and we undertake um, particular protocols to train our gut, we can then see a reduction in the incidence of those symptoms, so how often they're occurring and also in the severity of those symptoms we also see that there can um, also be a um, improvement in how well we're absorbing those nutrients that we're ingesting. Uh, and we also see an improvement in, in tolerance. So some of those studies have specifically been looking at carbohydrate ingestion during exercise. Uh, and some of those studies, or one at least study, has looked at fluid ingestion. So if there's athletes out there that have a high sweat loss and are trying to ingest fluid um, and currently struggling, well, they would need to be trying to undertake some some strategies um, with repeated large volumes of fluid ingestion and that can actually improve as well. So, yeah, for sure the gut can be trained, just um, not enough of us do it um, and maybe we don't know how to, to do it. I think if we look at the extremes of this, and this is an example that Steph and I love to use, is if you look at those guys who do major league eating, those guys who can eat, you know, 70 hot dogs in 10 minutes or something, like they're not born with that ability. They train their stomach to be able to expand to the degree it needs to accommodate 70 hot dogs. You know, the stomach's not emptying them any faster out at the, the bottom end of the stomach. The stomach's just expanding like a balloon blowing up. And so, yeah, there's two aspects to gut training. One is that gut tolerance, you know, the stomach tolerance to the volume of stuff that's in there. 
to stop it coming back out again. And then the other is the ability to absorb the carbohydrate from the gut and into the bloodstream, uh, which is obviously a bit further down. So yeah, one is volume of food and that's one particular strategy and that can be both solid food and fluids. And then the other one is the you know, grams per hour of carbohydrate you can actually absorb into the blood from the gut. So there you have it, four uh, feature episodes and they had just dropped, yeah, in, in Patreon in the last couple of months. Um, but as we said, there's a Q&A session dropping every single week. Um, so there's so much valuable content coming out. We've got a, you know, a lot of exciting episodes um, released in, in the few, coming out in the future and we uh, will be posting this onto our main network once a month, just a bit of a highlight of, of what sort of come on um, Q&A session-wise. Otherwise, you know, there's still uh, the Ask Us Anything episodes coming out and the Gold, Gold Coast, Coast Diaries. Diaries. Yep. Um, and plenty more. We're, we're, we're always in the little think tank trying to trying to come up with new ideas for, to give everyone um, good running content. So. That's right. So if, you, if you're loving FTK, um, you know where to go. Yep. <laughs> That's all we got for you. Thanks, guys. See ya.